Lee Gibson. Welcome to Sort Your Shit Out, the podcast that's all about finding balance. And for this series, we're focusing on balancing the booze. Basically, it's about me working out how to be less of a pisshead. Join me is Stephanie Chivers, coach, trainer, and all-round supporter of anything to do with making alcohol insignificant. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Hello. And as always, our lovely sponsors for this episode are Remedy Kombucha, who make delicious fizzy pop that's brilliant if you're trying to cut down on drinking. Now it's time to introduce our guest for this episode. Hello, Cat Sims. Hello, Ellie Gibson and Stephanie. Hello, hello. How come I get a surname and she's just like Cher or Madonna? She's just Stephanie. To be honest, I just forgot her surname. (laughs) That's that's actually how Madonna got started. Now, Cat, you're used to doing this sort of podcast nonsense. You've even got your very own podcast. I do. Got a plug in for you already. I know this is great. Straight at the head, right at the top. Yeah, you're welcome. You get to mention it later. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself for the listener? Okay, my name is Kat Sims and I am, I think what I am first, probably an Insta wanker first. Mm. I'm at Not So Smug Now, you'll find me on all the various uh, platforms. I have written a book and I am an addict and an alcoholic. First of all, can you tell us about your journey with addiction and sobriety? Or does even the word journey make you want to do a little sick in your mouth? I've got to be honest, the word journey I have more of a problem with than the word alcoholic. Right. My my journey. Um <laughs> It wasn't more. It wasn't a journey. It was more of a car crash, really. Uh, I'd always drank alcoholically. In that, I drank unhealthily, and I'd been surrounded as a kid by a family that also drank very unhealthily. Um, so that was my normal. My my sort of bar was fairly low in terms of what was um, acceptable. And I just I remember being thirteen. That was the first time I drank to blackout. And as I got older. It became more and more of a problem, but it was very insidious. It was very slow. It was, I was always very functioning. Uh, and eventually I got to a point where I just realized that I needed to make a change, that it wasn't serving me anymore. Yeah. And you and I, so we're old friends. We are. Also, we've talked about this a lot before. So I know that you had issues with postnatal depression as well and your partner being away a lot and you being at home with the kids a lot. How did that tie into you getting into Yeah, that definitely impacted any problems that I had with substances in general. Uh, He, My husband is a musician, so he was on tour a lot. And I remember after the birth of my first, I really struggled in a way that, you know, now I look back on it, I can't believe I survived it, honestly. And I had severe postnatal depression and my husband was actually around for the first month, which which I was really lucky because most husbands weren't around for that long at first. And then once that was over, he left for about seven or eight months to go on tour. And he was backwards and forwards here and there. He was home for a week and then he was gone. But for about seven or eight months, he was largely absent. And that sort of enforced isolation, I guess. I didn't live near any of my family. You know, I had the only friends I met were in like dusty church halls over soggy custard creams and playgroups. Oh, uh, oh the pre-licked maracas. God, can oh. you even? I can't even. No. That's almost more traumatic for me than the birth sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I just was, I really, really struggled. And I think that my postnatal depression wasn't diagnosed until my baby was a year. So that year in itself played a huge part in my mental struggles, but also finding ways to cope Mm. that weren't healthy because tied in with all of that was that kind of mother myth which is you should martyr yourself you should this should be the best time of your life the most fulfilling time of your life you should be loving this and grateful um and I didn't feel any of those things but I also felt like I couldn't speak up about those things and so it was so I found other ways to deal and cope with it Mm. 
So, Stephanie, I know you work mainly but not exclusively with women. Is this a story you hear a lot about motherhood, you know, effectively causing a change in someone's drinking habits? So life changes is super common. So the problem we've got with alcohol, <laughs> many problems we've got with alcohol, is that, and I'm not the fun police, so I'll just get that out there now. <laughs> I that, quite like the idea of you being a fun police. We could get you a little hat, no, make you wear it whenever you... I like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe the fun police bit could be about me encouraging people to be more fun rather than stopping the fun. Yeah, yeah right, do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds better. So the problem we've got with alcohol is it's a highly addictive, hugely habit-forming substance that's readily available and socially acceptable. So it is normal in the UK for people to drink. It's normal. Like Kat was saying, she started drinking at an early age. That's normal as well. Like lots of people start drinking as teenagers. A lot of people may or may not have an alcohol problem, but then these life events happen. So having a child, massive life event getting married, divorce, illness, retiring, redundancy, death, all this stuff, you know, a child being ill. These are big life events that happen. So if we're drinking normally, whatever normal drinking is, then it's really easy for our drinking to escalate. So how how bad did it get, Kat? Like, did you have like a, a rock bottom? Was there a specific moment or day where you thought, no, this is, how much were you, were you drinking at that point? so many rock bottoms. And that's the, that's the reality of it. I had so many rock bottoms throughout my 20s and 30s that every single one of them should have been enough to make me stop. And it wasn't. And there's lots of reasons that I think that's the case. But I used to drink to blackout. And I thought that's how people drank. You know, there were certain things I could drink that didn't, like red wine was fine. But if I drank white wine, I would wake up with a black hole in my soul and a deep sense of self-loathing. And I would have absolutely no idea what happened. And I recently discovered, actually, that when you're in blackout, it's not that you can't remember. It's that actually your brain stops making memories. So even if you went into some sort of hypnotherapy to try to transgress, those you'd never be able to tap into that. It's mm. not, it was never there. And that is terrifying. Like when I think about the things that I do know about, I wonder, God, what happened when I was in blackout and I didn't know about it. You know, who only, God only knows. But yeah, it got bad and it was, you know, it was bad at different times. I ended up in very, very dangerous situations. Um, my self-esteem and my feelings of self-worth were so in the toilet that what happened to me didn't matter. And it was only when those things really started to affect other people like my husband and my kids that I realized something really needed to change. And, you know, when I was, and again, it didn't change instantly. You know, I, when my youngest was six months old, I, uh, a friend came over, my husband was away and we drank and drank and drank and she went home and I went to bed and woke up at six in the morning, obviously desperately hungover because my baby was crying, which is what they do at six in the morning. They don't care that you've had, you know, you've tied one on the night before. And I went into her room and she wasn't in her cot and I panicked, obviously, because I could hear her crying and I turned around and she was on the spare bed that was also in her room. And so some point in blackout, I had picked her up. Maybe I'd even fed her. God only knows. Uh, and I'd left her on the spare bed. She was fine. There were no serious consequences. But the reality of what could have happened was devastating. And that was the day that, that was the day I went to my first AA meeting and I walked in. And obviously that's like never the place that you want to end up. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you're walking to an AA meeting, you are not feeling 
great in any way, shape or form. Plus, I'm a- Unless your car has actually broken down, in which case it's entirely <laughs> it's appropriate. Really yeah. useful, yeah, actually. Really good. And, uh, I, uh, and I walked in and it was just me and one bloke. And I was like, this doesn't feel great. And I'm sure he was lovely, but he's, but I felt unsafe. I was already emotionally dropping my basket. And I sort of left and I was like, I'm never going back to one of those things again. And it was another five years before I walked back into another meeting. It's a devastating thing when you are somebody who drinks like I drank and realise that for a significant period of time, you have willingly chosen alcohol over your kids, over your relationship, over your work, over, you know, the safety of other people. If you decide to get in a car and drive, which, you know, I I was guilty of doing that as well. And all of those things I got away with because I didn't get caught. But for the grace of God, you know, that she was fine. When I did drive drunk, I never hit anybody. But it would only have taken one of those sliding door moments for me to have a car crash uh, or for something terrible to happen to her where I would have lost my kids, I would have lost my license, I would have probably lost my relationship. And I got to a point where I realised the weight of responsibility that I was holding, which was looking after my elderly parents, having two young children, being the sole breadwinner in my family at that time, because obviously my husband's a musician and so COVID completely took out all of his work. I realised that I couldn't carry on drinking like I did and risk getting myself into those situations that could have terrible um, consequences. I, I just couldn't carry on doing it. That wasn't how, you know, mm. you know, as they say, I, my life had become unmanageable. And that was the point at which actually the final rock bottom was really relatively high. I was waking up with panic attacks at four in the morning. Severe, like I'm having a heart attack. I am dying. Panic attacks. And I knew it was the alcohol. Yeah. Um, and that was the moment where I thought, you know, what, I'm going to go back to AA. That was where I knew to go. I wasn't anybody who, I mean, I have lots of friends who are addicts or alcoholics or whatever and are in the 12-step program, but I didn't know of any other options. And so when I was like, I need help, I was like, I'm going to go to AA. And actually, for me, it was the best thing that I ever did. Um, and it's what keeps me sober today, but it works for me and it doesn't always work for everybody. Um, but I do think that, AA suffers from a seriously bad reputation that it doesn't really deserve in a lot of ways. But yeah, and since then, it's just been a game changer. Yeah. But yeah, so I remember you telling me about how you <clears throat> were cutting up because you were doing coke as well. We can oh, cut yeah. this out if you don't want to. No, 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 no. Let's talk about it because that was, yeah, you're right. Because I was, because when I initially was realizing that all the terrible things that were happening to me were happening when I was in blackout or very severely impaired. I was like, well, obviously the problem's not alcohol. The problem is blackout. And therefore, how can I fix that? And then I discovered cocaine and I was like, oh, well, that fixes that problem because now I'm not sloppy. I'm not you should go on Taskmaster. (laughs) Honestly, such a problem solver. Um, And right in to take a break with that life-saving tip. (laughs) And an an added bonus of that was that I could drink more and for longer. I didn't have to stop. And that was always my problem. I drank daily. I never drank in the morning. I didn't hide booze around the house. I didn't have it in my coffee cup. But I drank every day at least a bottle of wine, if not two. And then when I went out binge drinking, well, it was always binge drinking. I never knew when I was going to stop. And that just became untenable for me in terms of living a life that I knew I wanted to live. And I remember you saying that you, a low point was when you were cutting up the kids' straws 
to do yeah. coke, which again, in terms of mummy life hacks, I mean that that works. <laughs> Listen, that's it. You, you know, I've not seen that one on Pinterest, Cat. I've not seen that one. There is not a Pinterest board that exists, and I feel like I should maybe start it. But it was it was those like really kind of wide rubber straws, reusable straws that they get. And this was at the point towards the end of my drinking where I was using cocaine at home. Mm. It wasn't just socially because I'd have a couple of bottles of wine and I was like, well, I don't want to be sloppy, so I'll just do a couple of lines of coke. And I didn't have any notes because who carries cash anymore? Mm. So I found these straws and I cut them up and I was like, these are perfect. And they were actually perfect. Um, but, it, you know, that was a moment where I was like, this is not right. And there, there is a progression to the way that you abuse anything because you get a certain tolerance to anything the more you use it. And so event inevitably, you are going to start using more, taking more, drinking more, if you are drinking for a reason. And and I just realised that this was not mm. going to get better unless I asked for help. Yeah, that's the thing. So I'm going to be totally honest with you, which I can't be controlled by my mate. I'm listening to you and there's a bit of me going, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not <laughs> cutting up cartons of Ribena so I could do class A drugs. Yeah, no, totally. I'm not that bad. But then you're like, but then I'm thinking, no, you're right. Like if I if I don't moderate, if I don't watch myself, that 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 will be me. I'll yeah. be as bad as you, Kat. Imagine that. Be, I mean, I know, was, do you know what? It's funny. I once went to an AA meeting. We were sat there with a friend and we were having a chat. And this lady walks in 10 minutes just before the end. She sits down. Very elderly lady. She sits down. She listens. And we all do the serenity prayer at the end. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, blah, blah, blah. And she turned around afterwards and she stood and she said, so what's this meeting for? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's an, it's an AA meeting for alcoholics. And she went, oh, I'm not one of those. Oh. And I walked up. But yeah, I think it's, you know, you asked me and I sort of purposely didn't answer how much I was drinking because it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it, it there isn't a point at which you suddenly become an alcoholic or have a problem with alcohol, whatever, whatever semantics you choose to use. It's not an external level. You know, AA says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. It doesn't say the only requirement for membership is you have to have crashed your car and lost a job and done all of that. Right, right. So, you know, you can walk in and there's loads of people in there that are just binge drinkers that don't drink for two weeks, but know that when they do binge drink, they Bad get themselves happen, into, yeah. 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 Um, and so that for me, and I know that this is a conversation that we'll have, um, Stephanie, that's really interesting. That's, sort of why I'm really passionate about using the term and identifying as an alcoholic because whether or not it's the best word to use whether or not it covers the right amount whatever it is the reality is that I think once people can get over the stigma of that word there's a lot more help out there available for them you know and I think a lot of people don't reach for help because they want to say oh, I'm not an alcoholic because that describes a certain type of person in their mind and actually I think if you have a problem with alcohol and it's having a negative impact on your life in any way and you can't stop there's something useful in being able to go do you know what whatever you want to call it let's call it alcoholism because there's help there and we're not going to get caught up on the word mm. at well, the end of the how day. How do you feel about that, Stephanie? I know you're not a big fan of labels. How do you feel about the whole, I call myself, you know, let's call, let's call it what it is situation? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not a fan of labels at all. Um, I mean, that's for me personally. And of course, I mean, both of these things yeah. are our own personal yeah. opinion. Like we can yeah. agree 
I mean, disagree. Yeah. yeah I don't really can. care either way. Just yeah. put it out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very um, I'm Switzerland. Yeah. It's all fine. Fence sitter okay. over yeah. here. Um, <laughs> so the way I describe it for myself is that my drinking and drug use was a problem and therefore I needed to sort it out. Professionally, I use, oh my God, a wide range spectrum of different words to describe what may or may not be happening for people. If people want to use the word alcoholic or addict and that feels empowering to them, that's entirely up to them. I don't use it in my work. I will probably use words like habit and yeah, it's rare that if you look at any of my blogs or on my Instagram or anything, you'll see the word addict or alcoholism you'll see me talking about it in, I want to say generic, but it probably is. It's a bit of a catch-all because we've got 12-step. You know, it's been there for a long time. It, everybody's, and you say you're talking about it in a way that, you know, people give it a bit of negative press. I live in a completely different world and it's a very positive thing in my world. You know, you said nobody wants to walk into a 12-step meeting. I take people to 12-step meetings and to me it's one of the most amazing places in the whole yeah. world because you take somebody into those rooms and by the end of the meeting everybody's given that new person their number yeah. and has offered to meet them for coffee. I'm like, where else in the world can you go yeah. and see that? I just think it's phenomenal. I was talking to a friend of mine who... Um, was asking me about my recovery and this kind of thing. And she said, I went to an AA meeting once, she said, and I hated it because everybody was so friendly. And it really, <laughs> yes. but it, I really understood that because when you're feeling that vulnerable yeah, and that shaky, yeah. you want to be able to slip into a room and have nobody notice you, just sit down and absorb it and then walk away. You can't do that in an AA meeting. Like people flock around yeah. you and they're like, oh my God, welcome. Hi, would you like a cup of tea? Because yeah. we all know how awful it was to walk into the first one. So that's why I also love the Zoom meetings that and since the COVID, all the 12-step fellowships have gone on to Zoom. And that's a much more accessible way for people to kind of access the 12 steps without the fear of going. I mean, even now, I do have regular in-person meetings that I go to. But even now, if I go to a new meeting, like when I'm down in Devon for Christmas, I'll go to a meeting in Devon. I'll still be nervous about walking in there. Yeah, You know, I'll still be like, oh, God, this is. But I do it. And it is. There is something incredible about being in an in-person meeting that you don't really get on Zoom. I hadn't yeah. thought about that before and I was trying to, as, as usual, make it about me, related back to my experience. Like it. And it is reminiscent of, of I, um, so I had a premature baby who was very poorly for a long time, he was in hospital for a long time. And uh, the, in the hospital, in the intensive care unit, there's a breastfeeding room where you go in and you will have to pump milk because if you don't pump milk, um, your your boobs stop producing milk. So you have to do it every three hours, 24 hours a day, which is super relaxing. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I suppose, and I remember walking into that room full of women who were all kind of in the same boat and having the same horrific experience. And we didn't really chat. And you would sort of think we would because we all kind of know we're going through this difficult thing. But I know I didn't want to chat to anyone because I was like, I don't want to talk about how sick my baby is and how he might die. And I don't want to, I don't really want to hear about yours, to yeah, be no, honest. Totally. I don't want to hear another sad story because I'm dealing with my own sad. I can't carry anyone else's. Is there an element of that with these meetings? And if so, are there any strategies, you know? So Stephanie, kind of what advice would you give to someone who's saying, I'm thinking about going to one of these meetings, but I'm worried about that. I, I, I'm worried about the interaction bit. Yeah, it's, it's that's a really common thing, how people feel. Because I run Zoom meetings, group, I call it group coaching, it's not really. And 
smart do lots of different people yeah. will be running meetings in this in this way in the same way that they do with 12 step so it's essentially the same thing it doesn't really matter what the methodology is and everybody feels the same they're scared and nervous they don't want to speak so I just say to people on my meetings like just go you know just like show up have your video off just listen in nobody cares and people just care that you showed up you know if in person's too much do the zoom if having your video on's too much just have your video off don't talk you don't have to talk you know 12-step meetings you can go in and just sit there you do not have to talk no you don't and that's the same in any meeting and you can do that for as long as you want I've got people in my groups that have been coming to my group calls for like three years and I've got no idea what they look like yeah and that's fine because they're showing up and they're getting the information and that's the important bit what I've realized is that everything in our whole whatever it is mental health addiction whatever it is it all comes down to in some level a breakdown in connection and community and when I think about why I struggled even as a kid because because also the 12 steps and I'm sure Stephanie will kind of back me up on this actually stopping drinking is the very first thing that you do it's the tiniest part of the 12 steps Mm -hmm. like you you don't do the steps until you've stopped drinking the steps aren't about not drinking The steps are about, okay, now you've stopped drinking. Let's figure out why you drank and how we can change your outlook, your view of yourself, how we can deal with the resentments and the anger and the lack of confidence and all of those things and make sure that you don't trip over those things again. And the fellowship and your group, whatever it is, it provides you with a community and it provides you with connection. And I can only talk for AA, but it also, for me, the biggest privilege of AA is that I can walk into a room anywhere or get onto a Zoom anywhere, any time of the night or day and know that there is a group of people that will never judge me Mm. in any way, shape or form. Because even if they haven't done the exact bad things that I've done, they've done bad things. I can say, I mean, I obviously don't have a problem saying it publicly as well, but a lot of people do. You can go in there and you can say your very worst thing that you've done and people won't judge you. And that is such a privilege and that is so empowering. So even if you don't want to speak and even if you feel uncomfortable, first of all, that's never going to be as uncomfortable as waking up and realising you've done a terrible thing. Mm. Like, so it's a Waking bit, up in sick is pretty Waking up in sick is worse than going to a meeting and having to say hello to a few people and take a cup of coffee. Like, I don't know, man, I really hate small talk. Well, <laughs> it's not small I was about talk. to say there's not small <laughs> talk. Just no big talk. talk. Just very big oh, there's talk. Not, there's no like, oh, that's straight yeah, in. Yeah. It's like, hi, welcome. We know yeah. how you feel. Like, oh, this wow. is hard. We don't care what you've done. Sit yeah. down, just listen. You don't have to talk. Here's a coffee. Here's a biscuit. Lots of biscuits at AO meetings. Oh, hello there. I just wanted to say a big thank you to Remedy Kombucha, who are sponsoring this podcast. Now, I've been drinking their fizzy drinks for about a year now, ever since I started trying to cut down on the booze, and I love them. In fact, our Scummy Mummy's tour van is littered with empty cans of the stuff, which really annoys my dad when he's roadieing for us, moany old bugger. Remedy Kombucha is full of live cultures, organic acids and antioxidants, which can be great for gut health, and there are loads of great flavours. If you fancy giving it a try, go to remedydrinks.com, or it's available from Morrison's, Tesco, Amazon, Ocado and Holland & Barrett. Cheers! incredible place and I think you know I love that there are other options out there it, I think in some ways yeah. it just so happened mm. that I walked into AA I knew the fellowship yeah. you know you know I've got friends and family in the fellowship so for me it was the first place and I think going back to it this is 
why the word alcoholic is so important to me because of the work, because it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know how helpful and how incredible it's been and how much I didn't know what it actually was. I think a lot of people who really could benefit from Alcoholics Anonymous don't go because they don't want to say I'm an alcoholic. And they don't want to go to a place for alcoholics. Yeah. And I think the only reason I'm so keen to use that word is whether or not it's right or useful or whatever. It is the word we've got and it is the word that describes a place that I know has really helped. And so if I can make somebody feel comfortable about going, listen, an alcoholic can look like me. Don't be afraid of Alcoholics Anonymous. If that's, you know, if that's the only thing holding you back, that word, then I'll hold my hands up and go, look, my name's Kat and I'm an alcoholic and that's okay. As awful as it was, it has given me an opportunity to turn my life around and to make myself healthier and better. And that wouldn't have happened. And with you, it doesn't matter whether it's, an, you know, this is the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're an alcoholic or not, whether you want to use that term or not. You've figured out your way of dealing with it. And, it, and maybe that, God, I hope that lasts for the rest of your life. I'm sure it will. If it didn't, you know that there are other options out there. And that's the thing I don't I want to make clear is like I just don't want people to not investigate that option because they don't want to use that word. And it the word doesn't matter. But you know, we know when it becomes too much of a problem. We know when we're not comfortable with the way that we're drinking. God, I wish I could have moderated. Like I wish well, that was gonna be my I could have moderated. Question really, because um yeah, why did you decide to go for sobriety rather than moderation? I think because on some level, I'd always tried to moderate. Like it's, on some level, I was always trying to moderate. You know, whether it was like, well, I'm not going to finish the whole bottle. I'll just leave that much in there. Oh, that's right. The old, the old. The old, the old or I didn't finish cup, a bottle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or I'd be like, right, I'm not going to drink at this event. Um, or I'd be like, I'm not going to drink on Thursday because that will mean I'm not, I don't have a point. If I can drink, if I can go for a day without drinking, I'm obviously not an alcoholic. Um, and for me... The idea of moderating was far too exhausting. If I took it off the table, mm. then that was easier for me. And I spent, when I was drinking, I spent so much time thinking about alcohol. You know, it was only when I stopped, I realized, like, I'd wake up in the morning and I would think about when I was going to drink. You know, I wouldn't drink in the morning, but I'd be thinking about that four o'clock glass of wine I was definitely going to have, maybe even three o'clock if I didn't have to pick up the kids. You know, and I was always like, oh, who could I invite out for lunch? And then we can go and get shit-faced. You know, and I, made, I curated my friends with people who drank heavily and were up for partying because I, I didn't trust people who didn't drink. That's what I used to say. I don't trust people who don't drink. Mm. It wasn't I didn't trust them. I didn't like them because they held up a massive mirror to me. And I always wanted to know why they didn't drink and make sure it wasn't oh. a reason that I didn't drink. That I, I was going to say, I mean? is that like, definitely what it wasn't like that, that person's less fun because they don't drink. It was that person reflects something totally i mean they may have been less fun but that would have had nothing to do with the fact that they drank or not yeah i just didn't even take the time to find out because i couldn't understand why anybody wouldn't drink like people would get up and after dinner and they'd have half a glass of wine left i'd be like what are you doing there's a war on what are you doing is unfathomable to me unfathomable like and i would be at dinner and i would always be checking how much wine there was left and if people were pouring i'd always be like 
can we have another bottle? Can we have another bottle? Because I didn't want there to be not any wine. And yeah, I'm not. I'm not proud to say this, although I am because I'm sharing it with you. But yeah, I I now am a person who can leave like a bit of wine in a glass on a restaurant table. Yeah. And I wasn't that person a year ago. But I, when I even as I'm saying that, it makes sense. And uh, yes, I got to a, a camp four at Everest, and uh, yeah. really <laughs> no, great. You, yeah, but, really great. But that is incredible, and I I wish that I could do that. And you know what? Maybe with loads of coaching and loads of things, I could. But I know for myself, it's just easier for me. I don't have the energy. It's easier for me to take it off the table completely. And now that I have, I don't crave drinking anymore. Because how long have you been sober now? Uh, coming up to 13 months, so over a year and a month. There are times I miss it, but I've grieved it. And oh, have you? Yeah, you do grieve it because it is a part of you and it is... You're undoing 40 years of habit. You're undoing 40 years of what you thought your life was, what you thought you liked, how you coped socially. I don't see some friends as much. You know, we're not not friends, but inevitably things that I used to be invited to, I won't get invited to anymore. Not because they're mean, but because they're probably thinking of me and going, well, we're not going to invite because it's going to be a massive night. Does that not piss you off? That would piss me off. Not being invited. No, I mean, if it does piss me off, I'll just say now. Right. You know, I'll be like, listen, I love you, but don't feel you can't invite me to things. Like, yeah. I feel a bit left out. You know, I've said that to people. I'm like, I feel a bit left out that you all went out and you didn't invite me. And they're like, well, we thought you wouldn't want to come. And I'm like, I get it. Just ask me. Yeah. Um, it's the same with my job because Helen and I work so many nights. People get out of the habit because they just assume you're working and very yeah. often they're right. But there's still a bit of it that's like, no, I fuck you. Nice to be asked. Yeah, nice no. to be asked. And, and it is, but nothing is worth feeling the way I used to feel. It just isn't. Mm. And that's how I do it. I always play it forward. I'm like, look, if I go out and drink, I know how this is going to end up tomorrow morning. And I know, and I know the repercussions of that will be huge. And so for me, it's just not on the table anymore. Mm. So Stephanie, when you're working with someone who's um, wants to adjust their use of alcohol, how do you kind of, or do you know, like whether they should really be, going sober or whether they should be moderating pretty much yeah I do so when I somebody first contacts me we have a conversation about their drinking how much they're drinking the impact of their drinking the risks they're taking yeah drinking history comes into it but really I take a snapshot of where they are now yeah and if somebody's drinking regularly quite a lot and there's some significant risks like blackout you know that type of stuff they might not be having any impact of their drinking. Sometimes it's just about the amount. I will suggest a period of abstinence. Now, there might be some people where I'll listen and I'll be like, okay, you need to get your head around being abstinent for at least a year. And they're probably more the serious top end drinkers. In my head, I'm thinking you probably need to be abstinent for the rest of your life. I was about to say, because right, right now there's a voice in my head. There's the addict no. right there going, oh, you've been you've been abstinent for every year. Maybe you no. can now go back to so That's no. what I Let get all the time. Oh, it would be awful if Let this podcast undid all no, your hard no, work. She can call me. It's fine. We'll sort Imagine. it out. Yeah. <laughs> no. And the reason why I say that is I'm gauging it on the conversation. It really does depend on who I'm talking to, you know, where they're at in their journey. Yeah. Have they spoken to anybody before? I usually get people who haven't really spoken to anyone. So it's the first time they've heard somebody say, if you continue drinking, you're going to die or you're yeah. going to lose your kids or you're going to lose your family or you're, you know, are you prepared to do that type of thing? So it can be a bit full on. So then to hear me say, actually, you need to commit to, you know, the rest of your life not drinking. So I sort of gauge it really. Thinking back to alcohol services, if, I, if we spoke to 100 people, probably about five of those people we'd be saying you need to be abstinent mm. 
the rest could reduce maybe take a break maybe that's part of it and then come back to moderating I actually don't like the word moderation I've got to say because I what I like to know is what does that look like for you and then I want to have a conversation about okay well is that appropriate use of the drug you know because let's be honest it's a drug drug. yeah so when people think moderating they think oh yeah I'll drink two or three times a week I'll have a bottle of wine at home and just like okay well would you do heroin at home you know would you do cocaine at home is that okay like think of it in terms of a drug so I really want people to think about what alcohol is what's appropriate use of the drug what does that look like because really it's a social drug so it's a lubricant, isn't it? So what we want to see, well, I don't want to see, obviously it's great that people are alcohol free, but if people want to reduce and can reduce, what I want to see is you have a drink at dinner with your, you know, your partner when you're out or you're at a wedding and you toast, you know, very minimal, but appropriate use. I've definitely benefited from sobriety being a lot cooler now than it ever has been. Yeah. You know, there is that. And I'm not unaware of that. You know, I think the old timers and the people who have been in in program have been absent for a long time. Like they, I, I do think that their journey is admirable in a way that perhaps mine isn't because it was a lot harder to do what I did before. I think a lot of the way that alcoholism and drinking and sobriety is viewed has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more uh, compassion and empathy around it than there ever has been before. So that's a real benefit, but I do, but people do, you know, that's, I don't care how much people drink, you know, it's, it's, if you've got a voice in your head that says, I'm worried I've got a problem with alcohol, you've probably got some sort of a problem with alcohol. People who don't have a problem with alcohol don't have voices in their head constantly mm. questioning their drinking. And like, that's what it said. You know, I have this voice in my head all the time that will look, will lay in, lay in wait and patiently wait for any moment where it can go, oh, you could have a drink. Like when you said that and you said, oh, you know, I tried it mm. after a year. I was like, oh, I could do that. And maybe I could. Do you know what? Maybe I could. I don't know. But also for me, it's not like you say, have, having one here and there, it's now not worth it for me because I do everything I did before. I now just order something different off the menu. Mm-hmm. And that is a very easy. Now it's easy. Not drinking is easy. Is it like snakes and ladders? You're worried if you roll the dice, you might end up on a snake. Totally. And then you go. I'm very pleased with totally. that metaphor, by the way. Simile, right? Uh, no, I like one. it. Thanks. Um, You're welcome. Um, can have that, Stephanie. Yeah, it was a simile because you said it was like snakes. Yeah, no, you right, said, is it snakes right, and ladders? Cat used to Metaphor. be an English teacher, yeah. one in case young guests, she was an English teacher. <laughs> and I can on a here, I can spell that too. I um, have got a degree in English literature, but I mainly played video games for three years. <laughs> anyway, listen, do carry I on. I make silly videos in my kitchen, so we're even. <laughs> um, it's for me, it's always there, and I know that you know. It's like when people talk about, are you going? Are you don't share your war stories and things like that, like the awful things that happen. Mm-hmm. I need to share those. Yeah. For two reasons. Firstly, when I first came into a program or decided I need to stop, I needed to hear other people's stories so that I knew I wasn't the only one, right? I needed yeah. to know that I wasn't the only one that had done terrible things and I lapped those stories up. Like I, could, yeah. I loved hearing it. I was like, thank God, you know, I'm, I'm not this despicable, horrible human. I'm doing something because of this drug that I've been using and other people have done things as well. So I needed that. But also I need to remind myself of the things that happen because otherwise the voice in my head will say you weren't really an alcoholic you weren't drinking in the morning you know you weren't hiding booze and it will say and then I have to go yeah but I did leave my six-month-old baby on the bed in blackout Mm. I did put them in a car and drive them around Mm. you know that I need to go shut up I am an alcoholic whatever the word is 
that is my thing and that's fine. Yeah. And actually now it's just not that big of a deal that I don't drink. That's the smallest part. That's the last thing I think about, actually, in terms of my recovery. That's now an instinct. My The big deal is me doing the work and, you know, making sure that I don't drink today and tomorrow and the day after. Mm. Well, and thank you for being so honest about what you did go through. And again, of course. Again, going back to me, um, you know, for all <laughs> I said... It is your podcast, to be well, fair. You know, and Stephanie's. But uh, for all, <laughs> um, you know, I was saying about when I was in it with Joe being in the hospital, I didn't want to talk about it, even to people who are going through it. Since then, I actually find it really helpful to hear other people's stories of yeah. trauma and, and what they went through. So so yeah. thanks for that, Kat. Thanks for telling You're us about, so you know, doing Coat You the Keep the Straws. <laughs> lovely. It's a lovely story. It's a lovely story. <laughs> now, uh, uh, we've decided for every episode, uh, we're going to ask our lovely guest for their nugget of wisdom. Oh, no. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I go on quite a few podcasts because I'm a really big deal. But I go on quite a few podcasts. <laughs> that's how they, you know if you're a big deal, if you're on podcasts. And they like, always, always drop that bloody question at the end. They never tell you. They never well, say, I want by a the spontaneous, way. I did think about it, but I'd like your spontaneous okay. nugget. I'd like you to just shit one out now. My spontaneous nugget is this. Stop drinking. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> My 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 nugget is this. Do you know what? Just don't. If you're worried about alcohol, please please speak to somebody. And I don't care who it is. But actually, I think the process of starting to talk openly about a problem that you have held inside yourself and that is just such a struggle and such a burden for so long. Even if the first person you say it out loud to is your cat, that is a process. That is the beginning of it. And I think, you know. It, you don't have to be hitting certain levels of, you know, pissheadness to feel like you've got a problem. Not drinking is not the end of your world. And, you know, just I, this is it the shame. It's just don't feel the shame. Get used to saying it out loud. You know, I've got a problem with alcohol and I need to find some help wherever and however that is. Excellent. That was an excellent top of your head nugget. Yeah, I enjoyed your your, your Talk to your cat. Yeah. (laughs) That's essentially what it boils down to. Start talking to your animals. Great. Um, uh, Stephanie, do you have a nugget for us for this episode? Yeah, well, I would obviously agree with Kat, but also just to open it up to there are so many different ways that you can get help, so many different ways. So, yeah, obviously talk to your cat, (laughs) but there are 12-step meetings and smart groups and Instagram influencers and Club Soda and myself and your doctor and different therapists. You know, there are so many different ways. Join a running club, Slimming World. It really doesn't matter. There's lots of different ways to get help. And if you're really bothered about... Because for some people, it is there is a lot of guilt and shame, and particularly women, and particularly parents. Yeah. you know that that's a huge one, isn't it? Oh my god, I can't tell my doctor because I'm a mother. Yeah. They'll call social services. Yeah, absolutely, it's a massive thing. We used to get it in treatment services, and I still get it now. You know, twelve step is anonymous. You know, smart groups are as well. You don't. I'm going to say something really contentious now. The Ooh. reality is people do not want to go to their GP because they are scared of these things. Yeah. And that is okay. Yes, I would love you to go and talk to your GP and get some help because there might be some medical stuff that they can help you with. But really, let's be realistic. It there does set you ways. off on a, It can set you off into a system that yeah. you don't want. And there are so many effective ways out there yes. um, that, 
you know, if that, the only reason I would suggest med, really seeking medical advice is, is if you feel that you are um, physically dependent on alcohol. Like if you have the shakes and the DTs and, and withdrawal symptoms, mm-hmm. there's definitely a need for some sort of medical advice there mm-hmm. um, because withdrawal needs to be done properly because if you are that bad, just stopping can be more dangerous. So, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, um, it you know, there are so many incredible programs and people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, plug time Kat what are you going to plug okay I'm going to plug this so I have a podcast called You're Never the Only One we've actually just finished season one we I say we me all by myself (laughs) it's solo podcast it's just me chatting about stuff I also go out onto the streets of London and ask people random questions Um, so that's uh, out there You're Never the Only One available where all good podcasts are available and I've also written a book called The First Time You Smiled or Was It Just Wind that is a journal for parents you can record all those you know first two first time lock of hair all of that stuff in there um but actually it's just a really i hope lovely companion that makes parents feel seen during those tough years so you can fill in all that stuff but actually it's much more parent centric and there's lots of cool stuff in there so um you can get that all good bookstores i mean i say that i don't think you can i think you can get it like at a good Waterstones, maybe. <laughs> let's list them. Let's list all the Waterstones. Yeah. Occasional foils. Yeah. You know, you're basically J.R. Hartley is what we're saying. Yeah, the best place reference. to get it is Amazon, and I know people hate that, but yeah. actually, Amazon for new authors is really good because yeah. those rates and reviews and all of that really means a lot. So, yeah. as much as you hate Amazon, can you please go and buy it there? Also, it's cheaper there than it is anywhere else. And Stephanie, where can people hear more from you? Find out more about you. If you just Google Stephanie Chivers, I will come up pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Her, yeah. like the candy yeah, man it's not a popular name <laughs> stephanie chivers uk yeah women who don't drink is the name of my website i'm happy for people to email me or facebook message me or in my dm or stand with a bottle of cab sav in the mirror and say your name backwards three times and you'll appear. <laughs> that works yeah, yeah. okay yeah. great Thank you for listening. On the next episode, we'll be joined by researcher James Morris. We'll be talking about why he believes we need to change the narrative around moderation and why the language we use when we talk about alcohol is so important. Cheers! Follow us on social media. We're at SISO Podcast on Instagram, that's S-Y-S-O Podcast, or just at SISO Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Sort Your Shit Out was devised and presented by me, Ellie Gibson, with Stephanie Chivers. The music is by John Thorne and it was produced by Laura Grimshaw. Thank you to Remedy Kombucha for sponsoring the podcast. For more information, go to remedydrinks.com. Listener.